0: That being said, we totally didn't do an intro. We just started with the small talk.
1: I know, because we do the small talk first, and then we do the intro. No, we don't. Uh Uh-huh. This is my episode. We're doing it this way. (laughs) Fine. It was on purpose.
0: So, why are we here today then, Emily?
1: Wait, I didn't do the intro yet. I hate you. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show Man," the podcast where we talk about your favorite musicals and why they're great and why they suck. I'm your host, Emily Chavone, and with me as always is my co-host, Brantley Wheeler. How are you doing today, Brantley? Oh,
0: you know, I've had... It's been a day. I'll just say it's been a day. And I don't think I'm always like the sourpuss in this relationship, but I think I am today. And I'll just deal with it.
1: Your face, you just look so sour. I'm so Sorry. It'll be great. We're going to talk about Company.
0: Yeah, I guess. Yay! We can talk about Company.
1: So the last time, we talked about my least favorite musical in the entire world. hmm And today, we're not talking about my most favorite musical, but we are talking about Sondheim. And he's my most favorite composer and the reason I have a degree in musical theater. And I'm very excited about it. Right. Can
0: I talk a little bit about my, my history with Sondheim?
1: I would love for you to.
0: Because I know you're... Like, you're like the biggest Sondheim fan that I know. And for me, I will say, I was not... I mean, I've always been a fan of musical theater, but I was never really into Sondheim. The first Sondheim show I ever saw or listened to was Sweeney Todd. And I like Sweeney Todd. And then the second one would have been Into the Woods. And I remember thinking, oh, I like this. And then the second act happened, and I was like, I don't think I like this as much. So... Aww. that was that. And I had heard a bunch of other Sondheim songs, like Finishing the Hat, and some other ones like that, and I decided, I don't particularly like this. I think it's fine. It's just not really for me. And I literally just watched your heart break in front of my eyes.
1: Stab me in the heart. So, my first experience with Sondheim, I think I was probably 15 or 16, I was in high school and uh, one of my theater friends said, you've never seen Into the Woods? And I said, no. And she lent me a copy of the Broadway pro shoot and I watched it and I was like, oh, I don't just love musical theater. I want to do this forever. Just absolutely fell in love with it. And then we got to act two and my mind exploded and I loved it even more. And even shows like Company, which historically I haven't gotten it really, because what 18 or 19 year old really gets company right? but now on the verge of 30 I feel like I'm starting to understand it and I just I mean you know this when I found out Sondheim died I literally sat on my couch for an hour and cried yeah it was devastating to me and I still cry a little thinking about it but I just think we were very lucky to live at the same time as the definitive greatest musical theater composer lyricist of all time
0: And I will not argue that point.
1: So let's talk about Company.
0: Okay, let's talk about Company.
1: Music and Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Book by George Firth. Notable Productions. 1970 was the original Broadway production. This was a record-setting production. It was nominated for 14 Tony Awards. Mm. Then it transferred to the West End. Then there was a revival in 1995 on Broadway. And then another revival in 2006. And then in 2011, there was a New York Philharmonic Stage Concert. And then in 2018, there was a West End revival that recently transferred to Broadway in 2021. That's the last Sondheim show that he got to see on Broadway before he died. And that's the new Company with a female Bobby. Per Sondheim, Company is the first concept musical. Mm -hmm. And I would like to read you Sondheim's description of the plot of this musical from Finishing the Hat. Go for it. A man with no emotional commitments reassesses his life on his 35th birthday by reviewing his relationships with his married acquaintances and his girlfriends. That is the entire plot.
0: You know, short, sweet, to the point.
1: Uh, If you're not familiar with company for some reason, what actually happens is that there's five married couple friends of Bobby. It's Joanne and Larry, Sarah and Harry, Susan and Peter, Jenny and David, and Amy and Paul, who are almost married at the beginning of the show. And then Bobby's three girlfriends, Kathy, April, and Marta. So all of his married friends throw him a surprise party on his 35th birthday. And while he's blowing out the candles, he has this series of memories. It's a a series of vignettes of his friends that kind of explore his relationship with each of the couples and each of his girlfriends, uh, as well as their relationships without him. And he's kind of trying to define marriage, or commitment.
0: Yeah, that's what I got when I watched it.
1: It's a little abstract. We watched the 2006 production.
0: Yeah, that's the one that we said that we would watch. Actually, that's the one you recommended that I watch because I had not seen Company before.
1: Did you watch any other ones by chance?
0: I didn't watch the full 2011 one, but I did watch clips of it. The one with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I watched, I watched my favorite songs from it. <laughs> I'll say that.
1: I think it's... If it's not already obvious, I'm going to be very pro company in this episode and you're going to be not pro company.
0: I think that's a fair assessment.
1: So that's fine. One of us has to have bad taste.
0: Sure. It's always you. Anyway.
1: (laughs) Anyway. so... So let me,
0: let me start at the top of the show here. And as I was watching this, I took a few notes, not nearly as many as you did.
1: I did not go past four pages
0: i literally wrote less than half a page anyway so i will say this watching the 2006 production of company not having seen it before or really knowing much about it other than the general synopsis after the first couple of lines and after, during the first song the first thought i had in my head was is this sh- show like seinfeld is it a musical about nothing because that's what it felt like right when it kicked off.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: I was just like, because I was sitting here watching. and I'm like sitting here watching things happen, and it had to be with within the first like 20 minutes. I was like, what is going on? Is like, what is this actually about? And that was, <laughs> I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I didn't understand what was what was really happening at all.
1: So my first exposure to the show was, it was 19. 19- I think I was a sophomore in college and I was taking a musical theater repertoire class and that class basically hit all of the highlights in musical theater history from Oklahoma on and so that course was basically like okay go home read and listen to Oklahoma and we're going to come in and talk about it and Company was one of the shows on that list and I remember reading it and being like I understand what it's about, but I don't really get it because I was 19.
0: Well, I'm a 33, so what does that say?
1: I think maybe you just need to sit on it for 10 years and you'll understand.
0: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that's not going to happen.
1: Well, and I also... We'll talk more about this later. But I don't know that we're exactly the right people to talk about this show because we are both married and have been for some time before our 35th birthdays.
0: True. But I've been, I would say... To kind go opposite of that, I think we are qualified to talk about the show because we are both married, you know. So, I think to an extent, we can look at it from that perspective. And like, we've both been single before, and I've been, you know, I've been a single man around a bunch of couples. So I could speak to that experience. It is a little, especially when you have, you're growing up with a religious background, and you have parents and older people that are always like, "Hey, when are you gonna get married?" you know, all the time. I can say, for an example, when I moved um, and was finally living on my own after I graduated college, I believe I was 26, I think. And my dad, you know, I know he meant well, <laughs> but he was like, you know, when I was your age, I was married and had three kids. It's like, yeah, thanks dad.
1: And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you have always been a person who wanted to get married and have kids like your whole life, right?
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I didn't. When I was in high school, I had a couple of not good relationships because I was in high school (laughs) and I decided at that point, you know, I wanted to go into theater and both of the boyfriends that I'd had were really upset with me for not wanting to spend more time with them and wanting to do the things I was interested in, which was theater and music. And, you know, I was putting too much pressure on them to also be overachievers apparently and whatever, it doesn't matter. I decided there was no way I was ever going to get married, certainly not before I was probably 35 or 40, and certainly not to someone who wasn't in theater or at least performing arts in some way, because, like, if you're not a theater person, you don't really get it. Yeah, I thought that that's accurate. You know, and, and like, you're a theater person. You understand the commitment and the time that it takes to put on a show and little things like, oh, if you're going to play a married couple on stage, like, will there be intimacy involved in that or... You know, the learning, all the dance stuff, there's things that Mm -hmm. as theater people, we're just like, whatever. But everyone else is like, no, I don't want to kiss somebody who's not my spouse. Like, that's totally understandable. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, I'm not going to get married, whatever. And then I turned 19, and I was home for Christmas break, and I realized I was madly in love with my coworker, (laughs) (laughs) and so we've been together since. Like, I knew we were going to get married on our first date. (laughs) And so, like my entire adult life, I've been with the same person. I was almost 24 when I got married. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the first time I saw Company Live was the Barrington Stage Company production in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And I only went to see it because Aaron Tveit was in it and I had a very big crush on him. (laughs) And it was really great. But I was 24 and I had just gotten married and I still didn't get it. It's like, you know, it was a great show. I just don't love Company. But now I'm revisiting it as I'm approaching 30 and I feel like I'm starting to get it. Like my friends who are older than me almost exclusively are married. Mm -hmm. I don't think I know very many people who are older than me who are not married. And then like all the people younger than me and my friends from high school. There's one couple friends from high school that I have who's married. Everyone else is single. So, like, I'm not getting the societal pressure to value marriage. And I got married pretty young, so I guess I dodged a bullet there. Right. Like, if I were 35 and single, would my parents be like, how come you're not married? Because my parents do the same thing. My mom would be like, well, when I was your age, I already had three kids. Like, (laughs) well, when I was your age, I wasn't ready for three kids. So, you know, I don't know how qualified I am to talk about this, but I think I'm getting there.
0: Okay, so let's just talk about it.
1: Okay, so if you'd like, let's jump into some of the music.
0: Sure. Oh, I always like talking about music. I mean, it's kind of the point, right?
1: Well, with time it definitely is. <laughs> so there's a couple songs in particular that I want to highlight. Uh, I think I've got these in show order. The first one is You Could Drive a Person Crazy. I just think it's so irresistibly cute. hmm And it's a little sentimental for us because we did it in our production of All Together Now at our school. But I also think this song kind of signals the end of the era of Sondheim imitating other styles. So Company, you know, Company's not his first musical. His first solo venture was A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Mm -hmm. And that does not sound like a Sondheim to me at all. Right. Right. And then after that was Anyone Can Whistle. And I believe Do I Hear a Waltz was in there with Richard Rodgers. But then this is the first show. Uh, and this is something Sondheim said was this was the first show that was just him. It wasn't him trying to imitate somebody else or trying to live up to musical theater expectations. This was his show and it was his voice. And you can hear that Andrew Sisters kind of sound from You Could Drive a Person Crazy. But I think that's really kind of the end after this Sondheim becomes Sondheim to me.
0: Yeah. I think I would agree because just thinking about all the songs in this show in general, that's the only one that kind of sticks out because it's different. It's different than some of the, other, some of the other, you know, songs that are in the show. So I mean, I think, and I would, I would say too, that it's probably the most, for me, it's probably the most memorable song. I mean, the harmony's really tight. It's got, there's a lot of good things about that song that I really enjoy.
1: It's pretty great.
0: Do we want to talk about the different iterations of it?
1: Oh, sure. Like the male versus female versions?
0: Sure. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sure. Okay, so um, yeah. of the different versions of that particular song okay. I've heard, I heard the the 1995 version, the '06 version, and the 2011 version, and also the the 2021 version, the all-male version. And it's interesting to me to kind of see... It's kind of like how there's, if a song is covered a lot, like say, you know, like Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen is like the most covered song of all time. And you can hear like so many, so many different versions of Hallelujah. And like of just these four different versions of that song I've heard, it's like they're all the same song, but they're all just different enough, slightly different enough to where it distinguishes it for whatever particular production that it's in. with obviously with the all male version being the most of a departure considering the characters that sing that song. Um, I think the one I've heard, I think, is my favorite's probably the 2011 version. Because I know in 06, you know, the concept of that particular production was all of the actors on stage also played instruments, which I honestly wasn't that big of a fan of because I didn't understand why. Maybe I missed something on watching it, but they, instead of having the kind of Andrew sisters, um, do-do-do-do-do, thing they played it on a saxophone which definitely was different and kind of threw me off a bit whenever i heard it for the first time because i was like oh i kind of like the other one the original version kind of better than this but i mean i think the one for me that i was probably the least impressed with was actually the all the all-male version that i saw um from the 2021 production because enough changes were made to it that it didn't it just didn't sound like the same song you know just the, some of the harmonies were changed. The octave was was a step lower, right?
1: So, yeah. So, and I'm going to blame some of that on the orchestrator because this iteration of company does not have the same orchestrator that did most of Sondheim's work. So Jonathan Tunick is the one who's orchestrated most of Sondheim's work from the original company as well. And, you know, the composer is writing like what notes go where and sometimes you're doing the lyrics. So you figure out the melody and chord structure, but the orchestrator is the one picking which instruments are playing which parts of it. So much of what we think of as Sondheim's sound actually comes from his orchestrator. Hmm. And so I think passing that baton off to somebody else and letting them rearrange that song is going to inherently change the way it sounds. And I agree, it doesn't sound like Sondheim to me anymore. And I think the work that he's done is great, but I don't like it for a Sondheim show.
0: Sure, yeah, and I could... I can, I think I could probably get behind that there. But I mean, I will say, like I mean, I've sent this to you and I think I've I mean I showed it to you before, the Broadway backwards version, Ethan Slater, Gavin Lee, and Wesley Taylor. They kept the same essentially the same orchestration that's always been there and I thought it sounded uh superior to the one that we got in twenty twenty one, personally. I mean I thought that the with the guys that sang it, they sang it well. But I just thought that as, as, as funny as it is to say, I thought the SpongeBob version was better.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's the version that you can currently license from MTI as far as I know, because that's what we got when we did it all together now. Right. And the SpongeBob guys sing it exactly the way that it's written, just down the octave. And again, like, no fault to the current cast of Company on Broadway, which closes tomorrow at time of recording. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, a different cover of that song. And we both happen to like the original better, which is fine. But I do love that song. Yeah. It has a special place in my heart now, especially because we had our students who did it. And I think they did a great job. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the first time. I, I mean, I think it actually might have been the first time I heard that song was was them. I was like, you, introdu- you introduced it to me and then she me, oh, I, wanna, I really want to do this song. And you picked it. And then I heard the, I think it was the 2011 version. And then you, then they sang it in the show, and I was like, yeah, this song's great. I like it a lot. I thought it was a good choice.
1: Our performers did a great job. Okay, the next song. So there's, I mean, almost every song in this show is incredible, objectively. The musical theater writing is just impeccable. <laughs> but there are a lot of songs. I don't feel like I have anything to say that somebody else hasn't already said. So we're just going to skip to some of your favorites, maybe. Sorry, not sorry. Okay. The next song I specifically want to talk about is Another Hundred People. Okay, this song only sort of fits the rest of the theme of the show, but dang, it's a great song.
0: Can you elaborate on that?
1: It's more of a response to someone is waiting and how hard it is to make an emotional connection with strangers when everyone has so many other concerns. Right. Right. New York City is almost a character in this show where everyone's focused on school or career or bettering themselves more than they're worried about interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. And especially in the context of this show, this song is interwoven between scenes with Bobby and his girlfriends. So I think it kind of does fit in with the rest of the theme, but it's kind of more commentary on what is happening in the moment and how hard it is to not only find a relationship, but then maintain it. When you've got so many other things and other priorities. Mm
0: -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, that would kind of sets it apart a little bit from the context of the rest of the show.
1: This is another reason that I'm a little sad that they gender rent the show. I mean, it's awesome that there's an opportunity for Bobby to be female now, but I love that song. And it makes me sad that it's like, oh, well, now it's a man's song. I can't sing it in that key.
0: (laughs) I don't have anything written down, but I do remember thinking like... Understanding, I mean, I understood what the song was about and kind of like, oh, yeah, I think I've been there before where it's like, sometimes life is moving so fast and there's like, you don't get the chance to really make connections with people. Yeah. And I felt that way before, you know, I mean, I think in college more specifically. Yeah. Because like when I came back, I was in college and then I left and then came back to the same college like five years later. So everybody that I had known when I was there was gone and... My girlfriend had broken up with me right before I got there. So I didn't know anybody. And so it was just like kind of like being thrown in the deep end of the pool. It was like, okay, here you go. You know, figure out your own social circle on your own. And I think I wound up okay. You know, I think I, I don't know if I necessarily strode out of the water with confidence, but you know, I got out fine. <laughs> but I mean, that that's kind of the impression that I got from that song, you know. I don't like I said I don't think it's anything necessarily new to say but I mean when I heard it I was like oh you know I un- I understand like what this is what like what they mean what it's what it's like for the like to have this kind of experience
1: and I think that's something that Sondheim is so good at is writing about a moment that is so specific that it suddenly becomes universal sure and so you're writing about that topic without ever actually talking about that topic you know it's like that idea of like you don't say the words, I love you in a love song, and then it's it's more impactful. Right. And so it's the same thing. Like, there's no point in another hundred people where she mentions being lonely or trying to make a connection. You know, another hundred people just got off of the train. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about it without saying it, which I think is so great. Right. Okay, let's talk about my favorite song in the show. Okay. My favorite song, which was not in the original production, but has been in since the 1995 revival, and they just can't imagine the show without it, is "Marry Me a Little," which is the end of Act One. I could talk about this just this song for an hour. We could do an entire episode just on this song.
0: <laughs> well, well, let's not. Let's just condense that down if we could. <laughs>
1: okay well i'll just do a separate episode by myself talking about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) make it a patreon exclusive or something
1: i only talked about marry me a little for one hour (laughs) what i think is really great about this song is that it's a great mirror for being alive which is the act two finale Mm -hmm. and so they're kind of approaching the same idea with different lenses And I think that idea is that marriage is a construct that forces you to give up yourself in exchange for companionship. Okay. So I think Marry Me a Little at the end of Act One, this is Bobby's Compromise. And for context, right before this, we've had uh, Not Getting Married Today, which is also an amazing song. But again, (laughs) I don't have anything to say that someone else hasn't already said. So please reference other musical theater experts. Not Getting Married Today is incredible. But after not getting married today, Bobby proposes to Amy. You know, she calls up this wedding with Paul and then he says, Amy, marry me instead. We're just alike. And I think this thought process after this, where he goes to marry me a little is kind of like a monologue. Marry me a little is his compromise. So don't marry me completely. Just go through the motions, file the paperwork, but let's only put the good parts of marriage into our relationship if that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So like, I'm going to pull the lyrics. I'm going to go right to the second verse. Marry me a little, do it with a will, make a few demands. I'm able to fulfill. Want me more than others, not exclusively. That's the way it ought to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: You could be my best friend. I can be your right arm. We'll go through a fight or two. No harm, no harm. We'll look not too deep. We'll go not too far. We won't have to give up a thing. We'll stay who we are. Mm -hmm. So like all the good parts, because I mean, and I have more notes Mm -hmm. on this later, but this idea that you have to make sacrifices in order to maintain a relationship with someone when you commit to another person. Mm -hmm. But I think at this point in the show, Bobby's not ready to lose any of himself for someone else. So, you know, marry me a little, like, give me all the good parts, all the convenient parts of marriage, and we'll forget about the rest. Hmm. There's something else. uh, Almost at the end of the song. Oh, how gently we'll talk. Oh, how softly we'll tread. All the stings, the ugly things we'll keep unsaid. And then later, you promise whatever you like, I'll never collect. I don't know. This song just gets me so much. (laughs) I personally think it's a better song than being alive, but being alive is carrying the emotional weight that you need for the end of the show. I just think it's a perfect act one finale. And this is the first song in the Sondheim canon that sounds like Sondheim to me, both music and lyrically. I mean, I think lyrically he's always sounded like Sondheim, but musically when I hear the piano go in the song, I just know in my heart of hearts that's Sondheim.
0: Sure. I mean I think under the right circumstances like you could consider it among his greatest songs, like Finishing the Hat and some other things that he's done, you know. Because like thinking about oh, it like now. <laughs> right. Well thinking about it now. Like after hearing Marry Me a Little, I'm like, Yeah, they actually kinda have similar vibes too. Finishing the Hat and Marry Me a Little have very similar Yeah. Have that kind of Sondheim vibe, I guess. Sand vibe.
1: Yeah, I guess it's that idea of dancing around like being super specific on a topic. But dancing mm-hmm. around that idea and not saying it explicitly, but also being super specific. Mm-hmm. It's just, we don't write like that anymore.
0: Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like that, that saying, it's like, well, tell me without telling me. Yeah. Right. Say, say it without saying it. And, uh, and I would think that he's <laughs> in contrast to like uh, Sir Angela Lloyd Webber, who's just like, I'm going to tell you everything all at once. here's exactly what i mean and i think in that sense it's it's different here's
1: a musical about cats but what's it about how it's about about cats cats.
0: (laughs) i have a musical about trains you want to see that one too yeah (laughs)
1: yeah racing (laughs) trains the musical god when we have to cover (laughs) starlight express
0: (laughs) it's like it's like hey these, these these seats over here are cheaper that's the crash zone you may or may not get smashed by an actor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a happy place. You leave he who shan't be named out of it.
0: <laughs> okay, moving on.
1: We have to talk about Ladies Who Lunch. Okay. So, I mean, everyone and their mom knows the song, the big 11 o'clock number for Joanne, which I'm sure was the big 11 o'clock number for Joanne because Elaine Stritch was the original Joanne. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Patty LaPone is kind of the definitive Joanne at this point. Right. She's played it for a long time. She was the 2011 Joanne and then 2018 and now 2021. Mhm. So, uh Patty Lapone in the 2022 PBS documentary about this current Broadway production says uh that when you're playing Joanne in this number, you step out of the play and comment on it. And she very specifically said that she doesn't like doing that. She likes being a part of the play. So now this number has been played a little differently, which I think is great. So what I think is interesting about this. So if we think, go back to the original 1970 production, this was Joanne kind of stepping out of the play and commenting on the people around her. Mm-hmm. I think in the 2006 production, which we watched, I get the impression that Joanne is singing about herself.
0: Yeah, I did. I got that impression too.
1: Yeah. I think particularly when she gets to the second to last verse. hmm Uh, here's to the girls who just watch, aren't they the best? So, you know, in that scene, they're in a bar and right before this, she's got a big monologue and she yells at everyone for staring at her. And then, you know, she's singing like, here's to the girls who play wife. Here's to the girls who play smart and all of that. And then she gets to, here's to the girls who just watch. And it gets suddenly very introspective. So I think in 2006, she's commenting about herself, the bitterness, Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that doesn't overtly connect to the show, but it does because she's in this position where she's been married three times. Right. And as we get later in the scene, and spoilers, she makes a pass at Bobby and wants to cheat on her husband and is clearly not happy in her marriage.
0: Well, to kind of to just comment on that, I first I want to say that uh, so Barbara Walsh, who played Joanne in the 2006 version, I liked her performance. I thought it was good. Um, the one thing that for for me specifically that I noticed about her. She has a she f I felt like she had a very like golden age musical type of voice. Yeah. It set her apart for me. It was not necessarily I don't want to say it was like shout singy, but it kinda was. <laughs> you know? Um Yeah,
1: and I can't imagine a Joanne ever not being like that. Mm-hmm. Like you've got Elaine Stritch and Barbara Walsh and I don't remember who played her in nineteen ninety five and then Patty Lapone and you've got these big like Ethel Merman should have played this role had she been around long enough to play it. Mhm. Like I just can't imagine someone with a sweet voice doing this. I have to have that.
0: Right. And and I and I agree with that. I mean, I just thought that that the her style was very much like, oh, I've heard this style before in like musicals from like the 40s and the 50s. Right. right? Which I thought was kind of which which was great and and set her apart from everyone else in that respect. Yeah. Um which is I thought was was fun and kind of a good thing, but uh some things I noticed about I I so I felt like I guess of the characters uh, I found Joanne and Larry's relationship to be the most interesting and also the most heartbreaking of all of the characters in the show. Just because like mm-hmm. you can tell right away when the, when Joanne kind of the way that during, you know, ladies who lunch and then just the dialogue she has kind of around that song. Uh, it just felt like to me that she was like, what I wrote in my notes is that this character is, she is just perpetually heartbroken. Look, no matter what, no matter who she's with, is she's never going to be satisfied, right? That she's never gonna that she's never going to be happy because she just can't let herself be that way. And that's kind of how I under how I perceived that character, how I kind of understood it. It's like she's always she wants to be happy in her marriage, but she's not, and she can't let herself be that way because she doesn't feel like she can. It's kind of how how I how I perceive that.
1: Yeah, I get that too. And I think that's right in the text that, you know, here's to the girls who just watch. Aren't they the best when they get depressed? It's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest. Another chance to disapprove. Another brilliant zinger. Another reason not to move. Another vodka stinger. Like it's much better to sit on the sidelines and be the bitter lady who's commenting on everybody else Mm -hmm. than to get out there and maybe make a fool of yourself. Sure. And. As the bitter watcher, like <laughs> I'm happily married, but I'm also Joanne sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really, because I haven't noticed. Anyway, something I also noticed about like you know her relationship with Larry is that I felt like you can really tell that Larry, like Larry's little ex- double dialogue exchange she has with with Bobby, you can tell that Larry really does love and care about Joanne, right? And like just the way that the way that he talks about her, right? You know, like saying, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, she's not like this. One of the people aren't around. She's actually a very different person, right? And like, and that's, that's the woman that he's in love with, but he understands how, why she acts the way that she does or that she kind of has to do it this way. And he just kind of like, you know, kind of lets her do her thing. But because he knows at the end of the day, like, you know, no matter what, I just, I'm going to love her. But, you know, it's just that, that really kind of nice, sweet moment is then undercut by her hitting on Bobby. And it's just like... You know, for me, it brought it right back to her. Like, oh, yeah, she just, she can't let herself be happy. Like, she just, like, she can't help it. It's kind of how I, how I perceived it. That's
1: interesting. And I think we kind of have different perspectives on Joanne. This came to me after my understanding of the most recent iteration of company with the female Bobby. So, in the 2018 and now 2021 Broadway production, mm-hmm. Joanne is singing to Bobby. And they're sitting at a table. And she's directly singing to Bobby. And I think Joanne is likening Bobby to herself because when he gets a hearse to the girls who just watch, everyone else in the club is up dancing and the two of them are just sitting. And so now it's like, hey, you and I are alike. And so when she says that, when she very explicitly makes this, now it's not just about me, it's about both of us. Now we have to go back to all the previous text. And I think Joanne is saying all these things because she was one of the ladies um, You know, she was being all these people in order to attract whatever man was rich enough to keep her happy for a while, basically fund her interest in her life. But I don't think those were ever marriages of love. I think the real Joanne is that bitter and the sweet Joanne that Larry loves is the facade that she used to get married to him. Yeah, okay. But it's not that she doesn't want to be happy. I think she does, but I don't think she's ever been happy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why she makes a pass at Bobby, you know? It's like desperation and power, like trying to feel something.
0: Okay, sure.
1: You know, it's not the same. Obviously, I've not seen the 2021 production because we don't live in New York. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what happens, but my understanding is that the scene has been slightly altered so that instead of suggesting that Joanne and Bobby get together, when Bobby with an IE... The female Bobby is the character in the scene. It's that Bobby should sleep with Larry. Like the lines are changed to go sleep with my husband, not come sleep with me. We can address that later as well. (laughs) But I'm trying to find in the script. She's, uh, she's proposing that he comes over. She says, there's my place. It's free tomorrow. After two, Larry goes to his gym and then rides to the office. Don't talk. Don't do your folksy Harold teen with me. You're a terribly attractive man, the kind of man most women want and never seem to get. I'll take care of you. And Bobby replies, but who will I take care of? And then she says, well, did you hear yourself? Did you hear what you just said? You know? I just heard a door open that's been stuck a long time. Hmm. And then she suddenly backs off and that's the end of it. Hmm. It's really interesting. I think... With a male Bobby, it's very different than with a female Bobby. Like, when it's a female Bobby, Joanne's kind of saving Bobby from the same fate. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. But when it's a male Bobby, I think it's a little bit different. He's not giving her what she wants. Right. It's loaded. But, yeah, I mean, I've always thought this song was great. I did see Patti LaPone sing this in concert in 2013, I think. <laughs> and whatever was in her martini glass was in the audience by the end of the song. <laughs> She just threw it and all those old people in the front row got white. Yeah, so you didn't have to bring a poncho for that concert? <laughs> no, I was far enough back that I did not get her vodka stinger on me.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's nice.
1: Yes. But I did stage door afterwards and she was very nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Somewhere I have a playbill. It's the only time I've ever staged door. And then the last song in the show, Being Alive. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think of this song.
0: Okay. So... I will admit to you that this song has been playing a lot in my head.
1: It's very catchy. It's
0: the song that stuck with me the most. Um, I do think it's a very interesting song and seeing, you know, it definitely shows Bobby's character develop just in the course of that song, which is, I think, any great musical theater song can do. Not necessarily has to do. I don't, But I don't know of any, like, great musical theater songs that don't do that. But, like, for... You know, like my, when I was listening to the song and watching Raul Esparza perform this song, um, seeing the transition from him being like kind of angry, cynical Bobby to ending up where he does is a really interesting. One to just to see that change in that, what is it, four minutes? Right. I think is what that song is. It's not a very long song, but just seeing his view kind of, I don't mean, I really don't know, honestly, if his view of marriage really changes i mean i think he kind of more how can i put this he more kind of i think has a l- little better grasp of like what he wants but i don't know if it's any different than what he really wanted before or if i just kind of opened his eyes more to like what he wh- like i don't know i can't really tell for me if it's a song about him thinking about his experience that he had with Joanne and all, and the experiences he's had with all those other married friends. And then him not necessarily like romanticizing marriage or the idea that the idea of marriage, I guess, but him kind of realizing that, you know, these things that he, at the beginning of the song, he lists about, you know, the, the worst things about marriage, you know, like, like the holding you too close and hurting you too deep and sitting in your chair you know, ruining sleep, all that, you know. These are, like, negative things, you know, that that are about marriage. And then as the song goes on, he kind of, like, flips it a little bit. And he's like, well, these are the, stuff, the thing, These are things that I don't have. Something that I want, right? And then maybe it's not so bad if you, you know, to, quote, unquote, suffer this way.
1: I do think you're right. And here's how I know based on the text. So at the beginning of the song, he starts out... And he says the same things twice, right? You know, the holding you too close, hurting you too deep. At the beginning of the song, it's someone to hold you too close, someone to hurt you too deep. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the song, it's somebody hold me too close. Somebody hurt me too deep. And this is foreshadowed earlier in the show, right before Marry Me a Little, which again, I think these are perfect foils for each other. Right? Amy mm-hmm. or Jamie says, you know, it, it's not enough. You know, you you can't want to marry somebody like you have to want to marry somebody yeah it can't be just this vague notion of like oh i wish i had love it only works if it's for someone specific right you know he's saying all these things i think cynically and sarcastically at the beginning of the song and then as it gets further like somebody specifically hold me too close hurt me too deep sit in my chair ruin my sleep Mm -hmm. i don't i don't really have a better suggestion but i don't love the use of the term being alive i think it's a little too blatant and i've heard other people talk about wait this. a minute
0: wait a minute wait a minute are you criticizing steven sondheim right now
1: I'm, I'm not criticizing him i don't have a better suggestion how dare you <laughs> i don't i think it's a little too on the nose but again i think he was trying <laughs> I think he was trying really hard to write about something that he didn't understand either. And, you know, very famously he talked with Mary Rogers about what marriage is because she'd been married twice when he was getting ready to write the show. And he hadn't been married or in a serious relationship with anybody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's trying to write this whole show about marriage and has not been married. So what does he understand? And I think starting with company and ending perhaps with passion. There are a lot of shows of his that very heavily discuss the ideas of love and commitment and relationships. And I don't think he really finds the answer. I think Sondheim throughout his career is exploring this idea of, you know, what is love? What is marriage and commitment? Mm -hmm. And I don't think he really gets it until passion. And at that (laughs) point he had, you know, a partner. So I think as we explore Stephen Sondheim, it mirrors his life a little bit. Right. We get to track it. Yeah. So I'm n- I'm not an expert, but I do agree with that theory. Mm-hmm. I've heard other people talk about it too. I think he's, he's trying to figure out something he didn't really understand. I want to talk about a couple of random things. I've labeled them profound things that I thought of in my few weeks and many watches of company to prepare for this. Go on. <laughs> First and foremost, and maybe most obviously, all of the layers of the meaning of the word company. Mm-hmm. There's so many. It just it just keeps getting... The more I look at it, the deeper it gets. So obviously the opening number is company. And even the opening number, that idea, this musical idea of the busy signal. Did you catch that in the show? Mm-mm. The opening tones are a busy signal. It's two functions. It's very rhythmic. And that, that opening theme that... uh, Bobby... That's busy signal tones. And mm-hmm. so it's like, boop, boop. Oh, boop, okay. Boop. But it's right. also function isn't clock because time's ticking. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're a female Bobby and you're 35 and your biological clock is ticking. So two functions there. But then, you know, company, like in the opening number, all of his married friends are inviting him over or like inviting him out to do things. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, company's coming over. And then in Side by Side by Side, there's a line about, uh, one's impossible two is dreary three is company and he's the third wheel in all their relationships
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then in marry me a little there's a reference to company like um, wait let me find it exactly it's my favorite song I don't want to mess it up <laughs> marry me a little body heart and soul passionate as hell but always in control mm-hmm. want me first and foremost keep me company mm-hmm. like this idea of having a companion And not just someone over. It just, the more you think about it, the deeper it goes. It's like one (laughs) word, but it has so many layers. It's loaded and it's so juicy. (laughs) Okay, my next point, the couples. I think this is the perfect way to talk about what marriage and commitment and that responsibility is. Because all of them simultaneously think he should be married and stay single. They tell him like, what would you want to get married for?
0: Right, yeah. I caught that.
1: Bobby never changed. But then they're all like, Oh, we're worried about Bobby. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they tell him that marriage is overrated, but then they also think his girlfriends aren't good enough. And then they set him up with other people. Right. I think that creates Roberts or, or Bobby's central problem that everyone or even society is represented by the couple's. They're so busy wanting for other people what they want for themselves, mm-hmm. or what society says they should want, instead of what the individual person actually wants.
0: Like I actually have I have a note about this too. I remember, so it was um in the scene where uh the the kind of like longer scene with Bobby and April. Um, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and then like the different, fe- uh, you know, female co- and the and the female you know, couple of the, of the couples in the group. I don't, my brain is just like trying to, to get to spit out words and they're not coming up. Right. But the, I'll just say the wives in the couple groups are also there commenting on her. Right. Are commenting on April. Like, well, they think they're not good enough for Bobby, even though they all kind of like, I feel I kind of got the impression they kind of envy her because she's with Bobby. And so, with that in mind, I remember just like sitting here watching this and listening to them talk. And I was like, man, these people are rude as hell up here just like making all these comments. And like, I, I literally wrote like April seems like a genuinely sweet girl, kind of, you know, kind of ditzy, but not not stupid or dumb. I just like, she you knows she's, you know, just kind of a little bit of an airhead, but she's not, she seems like a genuinely kind of sweet person. And then these other women are over here just being real judgmental and rude. And I was like, man shut up. (laughs) I just kept thinking that the whole time they were talking. I'm like, I don't like you shut your mouth. That's not nice.
1: And again, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we had similar college experiences in the culture of our colleges Mm -hmm. being Christian universities in the South. Mm -hmm. Like I would say at least 75% of the girls who went to my college just went to college for that MRS degree. I mean, ring by spring, am I right?
0: I mean, that is a saying that happens, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's this societal pressure, and I got that from my friends for a while who didn't believe that my now husband was real because he lived in my hometown, which was 900 miles away from my college. Right. So they were convinced I'd made up this boyfriend, but, you know, they're like, (laughs) oh, you've been together for two years and you're graduating. How come he hasn't proposed yet? How come you're not getting married? Like, it was really a badge of honor if you got engaged after your junior year so that you could be planning your wedding during your senior year. And then as soon as you graduated, you could get married.
0: I knew several people that did that.
1: (laughs) Or if you were really bold, you got married after your junior year so that you could move off campus with your husband. I knew several people that did that. (laughs) And so, like, I'll talk more about this later, too. I think that was some of the reason when I was 23, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to get married. Mm -hmm. And when I was 19, I was like, I'm not getting married, whatever. Or when I was 18, I'm not interested in marrying anyone. Just like Bobby says, I have things that I want to do. I want to go to school. I want to have a career. Mm -hmm. And then I started dating my husband and that all went out the window. (laughs) And when I was 22 and we were getting ready to move across the country together, I was like all right, let's get engaged. Mm -hmm. Let's get married. Like I'm ready for it. So that idea of the way that the couples kind of represent that external force and pressure of here's what you should do because this is what I want or what I did instead of letting you evaluate your own wants or needs as an individual.
0: Yeah, sure. Speaking of these couples, I have to say like, and like you, I like physically reacted to this. When I, you know, found out, like I'm sitting here watching, and like, you know, they are, what what are the two characters? There's Sarah and Peter. Are their na- is what their names?
1: Uh, no, Susan and Peter.
0: Susan and Peter. Okay, so because Sarah, yeah, Sarah is married to somebody else, right? There's too many damn people in the show. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, Susan and Peter, you know, it, sh- it shows Bobby meeting with like meeting them at their house, and having dinner, and all that kind of stuff, and he you know, kind of made this joke as like, oh, you know, if you guys get a divorce, like. Uh, let me be the first one to know. I am like, okay, well, you are the first one to know, and then you just tell them they're getting divorced, just right there, and then like later on, he sees him in the show, and he's having dinner with them again, you know, at a, at a different point in time. Because it's established this is a later point in time, because Bobby's there with Marta, and like obviously, like Peter and Susan are still there, and he's like, oh, so you guys didn't get a divorce? She goes, oh no, no, we did, and then he, but he kinda, he kind of asks questions like, but you are still living together? She's like, yeah, and I am like. Why? <laughs> why are you still living in the same house when you're divorced? I, it just didn't make sense to me. I mean, like, and I, and I guess, I mean, I know couples, I, I have had relationships where we were better friends than we were, you know, in a relationship. But I didn't want to live with this person. And so I just was like, I think Peter makes the comment of like, oh, yeah, I decided to stay like for the kids. And I'm like, I mean, I kind of get that. But at the same time, I'm like, why are you still here? It's really awkward, and it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I,
1: loved, I loved that. I am so glad we watched this together so I could see that reaction in real time because it was incredible. That's the idea of, like, if you got divorced, you wouldn't want to live with your spouse anymore. You would live somewhere else, but, like, it works for them, so who are we to judge? I
0: mean, I guess, but I'm still, like...
1: I can't, I, I can't really imagine getting divorced, but, like... I feel an obligation to my husband. I'm sure you feel an obligation to your wife and your kids, like yeah. your obligation to take care of them. That's your role. Yeah. And so if you, I don't know, would you, I guess, I guess if most people get divorced,
0: I don't know. It just,
1: they're like not happy anymore. But if you're still amicable, like, I don't know if two consenting adults want to live together and they're happy, let them do it.
0: I mean, I guess I just was just, I just, it, it hurt my head, and I couldn't I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And I just was like, I don't know what's happening right now. I'm very confused. I think you're making some good points, but at the same time, I'm like, why? I don't understand.
1: Because it was 1970, and Susan was a sweet Southern lady who couldn't get a job and was depending on him. And honestly, I think it's Peter's sexuality is why they get divorced.
0: Right. But they stay together for the kids, I guess. They stay together.
1: Yeah. I mean... He continues to support the family. He just wants yeah, to sleep with well, men. I mean, okay, well, I guess you don't really have to get divorced to do that. Like, at that point, your marriage is just a piece of paper yeah. anyway. But, you know.
0: I don't know. I just was like.
1: <laughs> that reaction. It was it was really great <laughs> to watch your reaction. Oh, I was very pleased. <laughs> well, good for you. Okay, so the next moment that I have written down, it's Joanne's line. It's the very top of act two. You have to blow out all the candles or you don't get your wish. And I only caught this as we were watching it yesterday. You have to commit to something completely before you can get it. Like, he can't blow out his candles because he's not committed to this idea. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And this follows, marry me a little, take the good parts of marriage, leave all the bad parts, blow out your candles... I just I love that metaphor it feels like every time I revisit this I explore so many new things and it's beautiful
0: <laughs> yeah I guess like I mean I've only seen this show once and then clips of like songs so so for me like I did, there's a lot of stuff I'm not catching and like it's the same thing you know you watch a movie multiple times you catch something different every time you know but I guess good observation thank you like I didn't <laughs> something I didn't catch so
1: You mentioned this earlier, and I want to talk about it now. You said everyone's playing instruments and you didn't get it. Right. So here's what I think happened. Uh, So I think at the beginning of act two, during side by side, I think this is where it really makes sense. Mm -hmm. So everyone's playing an instrument except for Bobby, because everyone's in a relationship except for Bobby. And at the end of every little musical phrase, someone plays a little lick on their instrument. And then at the end of the next phrase, their partner echoes that little lick back on their instrument. Hmm. And Bobby doesn't get to do that because Bobby doesn't have anybody. And then he pulls out a kazoo, which is just the perfect instrument. (laughs) And then they totally (laughs) reject him. And you can see that. I just think he played this so perfectly as far as his reaction to that rejection you see on his face. And suddenly that whole song makes sense to Mm. me because you've got this cute little number with you could drive a person crazy. And then suddenly the act two opener is side by side by side. And traditionally in musical theater, the act two opener is kind of like a fluffy throwaway song to get the audience back in. But Mm -hmm. this song isn't that, but it is because Sondheim is a genius. All hail our Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that moment right where it picks up. I'm not going to find it here. It's like half time, slow, jazzy number, and then it suddenly picks up, and it's a big up-tempo cut-time number. It suddenly switches, and then it's...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I love it so much. This crazy commentary on Bobby's lack of a partner, and it's not even explicitly in the text. I mean, I guess the side-by-side-by-side, by side by side, like like side by side is a term that already exists. And we know that Bobby's Mm -hmm. the third wheel in all these relationships, but then they're just pointing directly at that and so blatantly shoving it in his face. And it's just, oh, I think it hits the nail right on the head. I love it.
0: Well, I think that that for me still doesn't explain why they are playing instruments. Maybe my, just my logical brain is just not comprehending. I understand what you're saying. And like, so that specific moment plays really well because they are all playing instruments, but I don't, it doesn't explain to me why they are doing it at the top of the show. Because like, we're not necessarily told that these people are musicians. Like the only, um, all the, the, one of the only other shows I can think of where the actors play instruments also is once, but everyone in once plays an instrument because it's integral to to their character, right? They're all musicians. They're all trying to make it right so for me that makes sense why they're all all playing instruments but in this 2006 production i just don't understand why they're all playing instruments it doesn't i mean it works to help you know kind of highlight this one moment of the show that you're talking about but i just i don't like i don't understand why the actors are playing instruments
1: what happens at the end of the show
0: they're not playing instruments anymore
1: (laughs) what's the last song
0: the last being alive
1: who plays the piano
0: he he does yeah bobby does
1: when he finally gets it then he's finally a part of it like everyone else gets it so they're in on it and he's left out and then when he finally gets it he gets to play an instrument too okay and then he's finally a part of it
0: okay great <laughs> <laughs>
1: i just deflated so much how are we friends <laughs> And that's what I'm saying. That's my last note is when he finally sits at the piano, he finally fits in and understands.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure that's very deep for you. It didn't really register with me. I,
1: I'm i so surprised that the show doesn't resonate more with you, knowing that you for your whole life always wanted to be married and have children. And this doesn't mm-hmm. resonate with you more. <laughs> I figured for sure this show would resonate more with you than with me. Maybe maybe you're playing a little bit because you hate Sondheim and I love Sondheim and that's our rapport.
0: <laughs> I never said I hated Sondheim.
1: By all logic, you should like this show, and I'm not surprised that you don't, but it hurts. Well, how are you not just like not at all? <laughs> oh man.
0: I listened listen to being alive and I could relate to it. I, could, I felt like, you know, I felt this way before I kind of get that, you know, the cynicism. And then, then, you know, just wanting somebody like I got, I understood it. And I, I felt that way before I could relate to it, but just, I don't know. You're kind of right. The show just doesn't resonate with me. I guess it does in a way than it does with maybe with, with most people. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think we just need 10 years and a couple of months and, you'll come around
0: okay if you say so
1: i do briefly want to touch on this idea um this lgbtq question of is bobby a thinly veiled metaphor for sondheim's homosexuality Mm -hmm. because it's gotten brought up a few times and i think now with the gender swap production of company this question's kind of at the surface again um i don't think bobby's gay i think there's a lot of evidence that bobby is not gay Uh, I don't think it matters. I think Bobby could be gay. Sure. But it doesn't really change the central theme of the show. Right. So Sondheim and George Firth, who wrote the book, have very explicitly said for a very long time that Bobby is not gay. And then even with the gender swap production, they're very careful to not make Bobby gay. They could have easily just left the girlfriends or one of the girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Um, They could have left the scene after ladies who lunch with Joanne and just let Joanne hit on female Bobby. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. There was there was also a 2013 attempt to make Bobby gay. That was going to be a company, um, a production of company where Bobby was very explicitly gay. And Sondheim abandoned it because he called it forced. Mm. They, They tried to do it. He decided he wasn't going to. And very famously Sondheim won't do something or wouldn't do something new just as a gimmick. It had to stand up uh, against mm-hmm. the text. I think pretty obviously if any character is gay it's Peter. I mean, you could play him straight if you want to right. and you could lean into the idea that Bobby is gay but I do think it works better as Peter being gay and making a pass at Bobby and Bobby blowing it off as a joke. Mm-hmm. I think this show is more about fitting not fitting into that standard of being like a heterosexual monogamous white picket fence two and a half kids societal expectations in general regardless of who you Mm -hmm. love it's not about what gender you're attracted to it's about how come you haven't picked one person to settle down with i think it's you know it's an abstract concept musical if you make it too specific it loses its power right so i think leaving it vague And I think in this situation, making Bobby a straight man in general is probably the best way to approach this idea because unfortunately, I think old white patrons of Broadway who are the people primarily buying tickets and people primarily funding these types of shows, Mm -hmm. if you make Bobby gay, then people will write it off as, oh, that's his problem, he's gay. That's why he doesn't fit in. You know, with the, the new production of Company and the gender swap, we do have Jamie and Paul as a gay couple. But I think that it starts to touch on the idea of like, oh, it's not about heterosexuality or homosexuality. This is just about monogamy.
0: Sure. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. I thought you were going to say more on that.
0: No, I really don't have anything else to say.
1: <laughs> okay. So then we've approached the final question for me, which is, okay. what is this show really about? And my answer is, I'll answer the question with a question. Are the sacrifices you make when you commit to another person worthwhile?
0: Hmm. Well, that's a lot deeper than I was going to go with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've been sitting on this show for a while. Right. Here are my thoughts on it. I think this idea of committing to one person is really loaded. For example, I've been with my husband for 10 years. We've been married for five years. My husband does not fulfill every emotional need in my life, and I don't try to use him for that. Mm -hmm. When... When we were first dating, even though we were long distance for a lot of that, because I was in college, I used to be a lot clingier.
0: (laughs) You? Clingy? Wow.
1: Surprising, right? (laughs) Uh, I used to ditch my friends. Sorry, college friends. I used to ditch my friends so I could go have a FaceTime date with my then boyfriend, now husband. Mm -hmm. If we were meant to depend on only our spouses for our every need... When people get married, they would just say goodbye to everyone and never speak to their friends or family again. Right. And of course, that sounds ridiculous. You can't meet every need of someone else and they can't meet every need of yours. People aren't perfect. It's not like that. Sure. Yeah. We have friendships. We have work. We have other things. We have hobbies. I think everyone should have friends and interests and activities they do outside of their marriage. Like your marriage could be your number one priority, but there's more to life than this one person. You can't depend on that one person to make you specifically happy. And I am married, so I don't know that I can really talk about this fear of commitment to another person. (laughs) But I think the reason Bobby isn't married is the same reason that I'm not ready to have children. I think those metaphors go along with each other. You're supposed to want to have kids. Our society is like, oh, parents love their child. Having kids is great. You don't know love until you become a parent. I'm not a parent. I don't know. But as a childless adult, I can do whatever I want. I can stay late at work. I can go on dates with my husband at the last minute. Mm -hmm. I can go to bed whenever I want. I'm responsible for myself only. I'm responsible to my husband, but I'm only responsible for myself. Actually, let me pull it. I have a note in the script. On page 39 of the script, this is the Jenny David scene where they're uh, smoking pot. Mm -hmm. He says, well, frankly, sometimes I'd like to be single. And then she gets upset. He says, but didn't you ever wish you could be single again? I mean, for an hour even. Obviously, I love my husband. I think we make a great team. I don't want to change that. But what if I could be the person I am now with the confidence and the knowledge and the experience that I have without having been married? Would I be worried about relationships? Would I be more buried in my work than I think I already am? (laughs) Would I have a different career path? What would my life be? What I thought my life would be, would be buried in work and having a different career path than I do. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I've been with my husband almost my entire adult life. I don't know any better and I'm fine with that. But what did I miss out on being an adult and being single? And there is something about the freedom of not having to consider other people when you're making a decision. And that's big or small. When I'm thinking about what I'm going to cook for dinner, I always ask my husband, what do you want for dinner? And that's a tiny thing. But then I think about the decisions that I've made with and for my husband, or like if we want to call them sacrifices to kind of fit in with this thesis. I graduated college early because I was tired of dating him long distance and I wanted to be done. Mm -hmm. And I was unhappy at school because I wanted to be with him. So I graduated college a year early and I worked my butt off to do that. And then I moved across the country to be with him. And I've turned down jobs because my husband has a job that he really enjoys and he would have to move somewhere else. And then there are things that I've been able to do with my life because of my husband, uh, like of decisions that we made for me. And then there are things that I've been able to do with my life because of my husband. Mm-hmm decisions that we made for me, like getting married. I think I was more the catalyst for that than he was. (laughs) I was the one who was like, I'm ready to be engaged. Like I'll move across the country with you, but you don't get to decide that for me until you put a ring on it. (laughs) I remember telling him that like, I'll go of my own free will, but you don't get to say you're coming with me until you put a ring on it. (laughs) And then like going to grad school and changing my career, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't married. And like, the house that we live in now, the Mm -hmm. cars that we drive. These are all things that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. We are dinking it. Double income, no kids is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I think about all of those things. Like my life is totally different than it could have been if I hadn't started dating my husband when I turned 19, I would probably still live in the area where I went to college or maybe I would have moved to New York to pursue theater more seriously. But I decided I didn't want that because of him. And I think about all of the additional considerations and decisions and sacrifices I'll have to make if or when we have kids. And right now I care too much about the other parts of my life to want to do that. I really like my job. I like that I can stay at school until eight o'clock at night and there's no one depending on me. Like, I like that. You know, I'm not ready for school to start again, but... I'm like, I'm excited to go back. I like doing theater stuff. I like my relationship with my husband, that it's just the two of us. And, you know, on our day off, we can like go run errands and we can go out to eat and, you know, we can watch a movie. We can do all these things and we don't have to worry about other tiny humans depending on us. And I'm just not ready to give up all of those things for a child. And I think Bobby's kind of going through that same thing. Like he's not ready to give up all these parts of himself to be married to someone. So, all of that to say, I think I get what Bobby's talking about. I mean, it's a little bit of a different circumstance. Sure. But... Sure.
0: I mean, honestly, you just struck me to like, hey, just do an entire... Like, basically just rewrite company, but like, Bobby's married and doesn't have kids and all, all of his other married right. friends have kids and they talk about <laughs> like, just having kids and what that's like, right? I mean, and that's kind of, the you know, similar to the thing you do and me because... Yeah. I mean, you technically have been married longer than I have, but we have two kids, you have zero kids, you know, and it is different. And I, obviously I love my kids more than absolutely anything. Right. Right. But I mean, it, it, it is nice when we have those times where the grandparents will take them or in-laws will take them or, you know, whatever. And it's just the two of us and we get to just do whatever we want to do. Yeah. I mean, and that is, it's really nice to have those moments because you kind of, you know, I think, by not having kids, you're kind of spoiled by that because like, oh, I can just do whatever I want. You know, it doesn't have to do with anything like that. But when you do have, when you do have kids and then they go somewhere else, you have these moments where you're like, oh, this is like, it's a nice reprieve. But even then you still kind of miss them. Right. Because my older son, you know, he, he goes and sees his dad. He goes and sees his dad every other weekend. And when he's gone, I, I miss him. You know, I wish he was here. You know, just, it's just, it's just one of those things, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's exactly right. It's just like the song's called, what is it? Uh, It's sorry, grateful where, you know, he's like, you're always sorry. You're always grateful. Like marriage is great, but there's also a lot of bad parts, but there's also a lot of good parts and it's like this, but it's also like this. I think parents are the same way with their kids. Like I love my kid more than anything in the world, but it's also four o'clock and I have to go home now. Like I can't stay and work on this thing. We are recording at one ten a.m. because you have children and you have to take care of them.
0: Yeah. And he wouldn't go to sleep.
1: Like, these are the sacrifices that you and and now me sort of, but mostly you. <laughs> like, you have to make these decisions and sacrifices because you've committed to these tiny humans in your life. Right. And, like, that's great. I'm glad you love your kids. I don't think I'm spoiled by not having. I mean, I am spoiled by not having kids all the time. <laughs> but I don't, like, I don't feel like it would be extra special like i feel like it's it's probably like it feels extra special to you when you don't have kids around because you're like ah break from having children even though you still miss them mm-hmm. like i feel that way all the time <laughs> like, i come <laughs> home every day i'm like oh i don't have kids i can do whatever i want <laughs> like i get sad if i'm gone too long for my dog so obviously not the same but
0: it's well i would say this it's not the same but it's not different either <laughs> But the relationship you have with your dog is different than the relationship you have with your children. Right. Because your dog your dog can take care of themselves for the most part.
1: But she'll also never talk back and she'll always snuggle me and she's always happy to see me and she's way better. I will love her more than any human baby I could ever possibly have.
0: <laughs> no, but see, like if I if I had either of my sons come up to me and then they're always acting like that, I'd be like, get away, you're smothering me. Go play video games. Like I don't want, I like, stop getting in my face. <laughs> But there's also times, too, where you're like, you want your kids to to be snuggly and cuddle with you, especially my wife, especially. She likes that. And then they're just kind of like, no. And they just leave. (laughs) I would say, like, of our two children, one is a lot more like a dog. He's very much like, oh, excited about everything and like really wants to be with you. And the other one is like a cat. And he's like, I'll be with you when I want to. And when I don't want to be around, I'm going to leave. And that's kind of how it is.
1: I do have an idea of which is which. Right. <laughs> I don't know your children very well, but I have a pretty good idea of which is which. <laughs> but
0: you're correct. Yeah.
1: I do think like that's, that's more of where I'm starting to understand company is through that lens of like... My parents haven't directly been like, when are you going to have kids? But a couple of times I'll post pictures of my dog on social media and my mother-in-law will comment something like, miss you too. And then she'll put three in parentheses and she's referring to my dog. But my mom will call me and she'll be like, what do you mean three? Are you pregnant? (laughs) And I didn't hear this from my dad directly, but one of my sisters told me uh, that she mentioned something about not wanting to have kids, like wanting to focus on other things. And my dad got really mad because none of his kids want to have kids and who's going to give him a grandchild? (laughs) You know, like... Like, the societal pressure of this is what you're supposed to do. Like, you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids. You're supposed to do all this stuff. And number one, it's not for everybody. But also, like, I'm not ready. I don't know if I'll ever be ready, but I'm certainly not ready now. I love it. I I get it. Like, Bobby's saying, I have other things I want to do. if I could have, like, a marry me a little for children, (laughs) be my child a little... (laughs) I can sit on the outside and like judge people who have children. Knowing you and knowing that at the end of the day, like at the end of the school day, it's four o'clock and you're like, I'm going home and see my wife and kids. right. I know how much you love them by your actions. I don't think you would change anything. No,
0: I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything.
1: And as an outsider, I can say like, (laughs) no, that's not for me. Like I can acknowledge that you are happy, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't want that.
0: It's okay if you don't want to be happy. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I am happy.
1: <laughs>
0: I know. I know that. But I, I mean, I think I would agree to that. Yeah, that I'm not going to. You know what? You said it better. So I'm going leave it, leave to it, leave it with you.
1: I think that's the point. Like you're like what you've chosen, what you've committed to is your wife and children. That's your number one priority. Mm-hmm. But if I decide to have kids, like then I have to commit to that. Right i'm not ready to do that right and that's fine it would be both selfless on one hand but like totally selfish because they don't want that right i want to be selfish for myself like i'm only responsible for myself i'm responsible to my husband but right now i'm only responsible for myself and i think that's right that's what company is yeah yeah and we have reached the end of my notes
0: all right well good talk. <laughs> We didn't hit every we didn't hit we didn't hit everything in my notes, but that's actually okay.
1: So can we make dreamcasting a permanent segment? Yeah, sure. So who do you want to play?
0: <laughs> who do I I wanna play everyone in the show. No. Uh so dreamcasting this show. Let's see. See Bob is turning thirty five. I don't if I necessarily have anyone in particularly in mind, you know? I mean if I I might I'm, I'm dream casting this seriously or am I dream casting this like sarcastically?
1: Oh, you can do either. Both actually. I would love to hear both. Okay, so. <laughs> You're going to cast Ben Platt as Bobby. Ben Platt is your ultimate leading man. Ben
0: Platt is everybody in the show. Are you kidding me? That's, the, that's what I, I want. I want the one man company that's just Ben Platt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say, I do think one thing I didn't mention... I didn't mention this earlier in the opening number specifically. What's the lyric is where, uh, let's just have some songs so I can explain to you. what I'm thinking of opening number one, it gets to at both time. It, it gets to the line, uh, those good and crazy people, my friends and like that drum kicks and those high strings go. And I just think, Oh, mm-hmm. it's 1970. It's New York. Like it just sounds like 1970, New York. I just think the show fits so perfectly in that time. And knowing (laughs) the standards and expectations and like traditional casting for leading men of 1970, like that's what I'm looking for. It's like that classic musical theater, baritone manly man sound and not what we currently have on Broadway, which is very pop Mm -hmm. high tenor, which is
0: just, which is totally my niche.
1: Uh, Aaron (laughs) to He's my Broadway boyfriend. I saw him play Bobby. He was fine. I don't think he's like, I don't think his voice is right for Bobby. And then Raúl Esparza can act the hell out of that role. He did a great mm-hmm. job, but I don't particularly love his voice for that role. But I can't think of anyone on Broadway right now who would be perfect. Mm. I'm sure there's someone I'm not thinking of.
0: I mean, I'm racking my brain, and I'm I don't, I don't know. I don't know of anyone offhand.
1: Because like, even the classic leading man right now is Hugh Jackman as Harold Hill, and Hugh Jackman's all wrong for that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like Robert Preston, if he could sing would have been perfect. Yeah. If he could sing and were younger when company existed. (laughs) I just, I love Dean Jones. Yeah.
0: Right. I do personally feel like too, that company could lend itself to a lot of stunt casting, you know? And like, so you cast this person in this role because like, oh, people will want to come and see this person.
1: (gasps) Meryl Streep as Joanne.
0: Yeah. I think.
1: She's a little old, I think. Um. I
0: mean, is she older than Patty lapone She's
1: like seventy. Is she really? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything.
0: I don't know. <laughs> She's seventy three.
1: She's seventy three. See, you're faster than me.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> um,
1: Patty LaPone is like, also 73. How about this? Like, like, the same age.
0: The same age. So, yeah. Stunt casting. Put Meryl Streep as Joanne, and then I would. I honestly, I would. I want to put Steve Martin. Put Steve Martin as Larry. <laughs> I just want to. I want to have that Meryl Streep and Steve Martin.
1: I think someone whose voice might be right for this for Bobby, or at least I think could put an affect on his voice to sound the way that I want Bobby to sound. Uh, maybe Christian Borle.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: I think he could play. Yeah. That like classical Broadway leading man.
0: Heck, throw Brian Darcy James back in there, giving it, a, make it a something rotten reunion.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about Amy? Um. Or Jamie, if you prefer. I
0: their name. What's their name? Uh, Carrie Butler
1: I was thinking Carrie Butler too yeah <laughs> yeah there and I go. have yeah. seen Carrie Butler perform live Carrie I think Butler, she would be yeah. great
0: yeah I just couldn't remember I couldn't remember her name but yeah uh, yeah Carrie Butler because she, she's uh, Barbara in, in Beetlejuice that's all I remember
1: she's older too but she looks so young I in 2011 I saw her in Catch Me If You Can with Aaron Tveit, and she was at least 35 and she was playing like 18 believably oh wow Carrie Butler is an eternal youth. I feel like we have some good casting. I do think it should be standard for you to come up with the cast that I would absolutely hate the most.
0: Oh, okay. The cast the cast you would hate the most. Uh well, Ben Platt as Bobby. <laughs> um I mean, look at the list here. Joanne, who could who would be a Joanne that you would hate?
1: Honestly, I'm not even thinking of anyone. Hmm. I just know you're going to come up with someone terrible.
0: Well, probably. I mean, I kind of feel bad, but Kathy Rigby, <laughs> maybe. I
1: don't know if I would hate that.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, that's kind of hard to think. Like, who is something you would absolutely hate? Who's very wrong for the part? Uh, well, I could, I could always go with. You could always go with Sophia Caruso. Just put her in literally anything, and
1: oh, you can't cast her as Joanne.
0: <laughs> Just put her in literally. Oh, Amy.
1: See, but I don't think she could do that annoying affectation with her voice in the song because it's so fast. So, I think you'd have to make her April. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's fine. Or maybe she could be Marta. Yeah, she could do do another hundred people. Yeah. The city of strangers, (laughs) (laughs) and another hundred people in this guy on the train.
0: (laughs) Sophia Caruso, and Hugh Jackman. Everybody, just every everything. All right, so how about a Sutton Foster as Joanne? We'll put that, throw that in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sutton <laughs> Foster. She do it with her dead eyes.
0: The best part about this segment for me is me listing all these really famous actors that a lot of people love, and then just watching you like scoff and guffaw at literally every person I bring up, and just knowing that people out there hate you makes me laugh.
1: No, I think I, I hope I came off more sympathetic this time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, to, to Sutton Foster and Sophia Caruso I don't think so
1: <laughs> so do you like company
0: I believe that I am indifferent to company I don't hate it I don't love it I'm just kind of like alright I think it has good songs but I'm not like you haven't swayed me in any way I'll say you haven't swayed me but like stay, same thing With you and Joseph, so it doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you didn't know Company, and Joseph was my least favorite show. And even so, I'll say, like, my feelings towards Company have only grown. Like, my love of Company has really grown in the last couple weeks, even, because we've been talking about this podcast for over a year. And in the original lineup, we were going to do Sunday in the Park with George, and I do think it was a good decision to hold off on that one for a little while, because... I do think that's like the pinnacle of Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. And so we picked company knowing it's a very popular Sondheim and it's pretty well known and it has a big place in musical theater history. But I was like, I don't really care about company. Like, it's fine. Just in the past couple of weeks, I've been really like, maybe I love this show. So I think if you revisit the show, maybe you'll change your mind.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll see.
1: It's the Greatest Show Man is produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by Patrick Duffy. All of his information will be listed in the episode description. You can find us all over social media at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Brantley. Tell him why he's wrong and has horrible taste in musicals. If you have suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, please send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.
0: I'm sorry about when you said what is love. The only thing that popped into my head was "baby, don't hurt me," and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't unhear it. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I heard everything you said, but I had the boom, 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 boom just running in my head the entire time you were talking.
1: If that's not our friendship, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs>